All right. So today in the therapy chair, we have Robin Shore, uh, who is the founder of HR Tech Pioneer Hire Suite, uh, which is lovingly used by um, over 1,500 clients today. We'll talk about all his success and the seven years it took him to get there. But Robin is a two-time founder, and he's a fellow uh, Ashrese alumni. That's a business school in Paris, one of the best, I guess. And he's built his company stand out uh, in the incredibly crowded HR tech space. Um, I don't know if he likes the term, but I like to say in, in a world where people are unfortunately firing, he's in the business of hiring and he made it a success. So I think we'll be really interested to listen to his tips. We'll talk about his success, the joy, the pain and the journey. So welcome to the show, Roban. And how are you feeling today? Doing pretty good. Thanks for uh, having me. Thanks for this good introduction. There's already like dozens of ways and directions I can go. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Let me know how. Where where you want to go? So many questions. Well, you'll know where to go because you're a very experienced podcast host. How many episodes have you done, by the way? How many people have you interviewed today? Um, I've I've interviewed about like probably 100 to 150 people on both my podcasts, and I have one in French, one in English. Um, wow, and you have one in French too. I didn't know the French one. Yes, there's one. In okay, French. okay. My level of French might might be okay for it, but is it mostly like yeah. HR leaders, recruitment leaders, like? Oh, I, w I already it's jumped in, but I will ask this. I will make an exception for the podcast. The um, we we started in 2020. The podcast was originally called A Players, and the goal was like, how do you hire A players? Um, so we mm. had recruiters and talent acquisition folks, but also um, the CEO. And I, I keep saying we, but it was mostly me. <laughs> company podcast. Also. Uh, we had the CEO, um, Michael Sibyl was CEO at YC. We had Kim Scott, who wrote Radical Candors. It was a bit eclectic and it was more a way for me to connect with people and chat with people that were interesting in the like, big theme of recruiting. Mm -hmm. And since then, I've changed it to The Modern Recruiter. And that's probably yeah. a, a better name. It's like, okay, how do, you, how do you learn about the latest things and trends and how do you think about the future in recruiting? Well, you listen to The Modern Recruiter. And in oh. French, it's called uh, Une Équipe qui gagne. Une Équipe qui gagne. A, a team that wins. To, yeah. Nice. Yeah, exactly. that's, I think that's very much in line with your finance background. It's, it sounds very, very uh, <laughs> su success oriented. Anyway, so yeah. let's go back to the actual role of the podcast, which I'm trying to make sure that we adhere to. Uh, so obviously, any good therapy starts with your childhood and your growing up. So I'm very keen to start talking a little bit about, you know, where did you grow up? And the reason I ask that question to people is your younger years, how you grew up, your parents, whatever, I think it has a major impact on the business person that we become. So I'm very interested in that relationship always. Like, who are you and how how did you become the you that you are? Yeah, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> I was born in the year of 1982 in Bordeaux in France, southwest of France. Uh, spent a few years in France and then moved to Madagascar for four years, where I grew up from four to eight years. So like pretty early on, I was exposed to uh, living in a different country, <clears throat> different culture. And and you're right that that stayed with me because I ended up working in like, uh, I don't know how many, but like several different countries. And I recently moved from Paris to San Francisco about a year and a half ago. Uh, and those early years definitely had an impact on me. Um, that's the first thing, and then went back to France. And then the other thing, two other things. Um, my father used to, and still is an entrepreneur. So, uh, oh, really? Had his uh, baccalaureate. Um, mm. 
was very uh, a very hustly entrepreneur building stuff and, and all <laughs> uh, from scratch kind of uh, trying to be a self-made man which he which he was so that has an that had an impact as well and my mother was a teacher uh, a, a school teacher and so she really uh, made sure that i was good in school and and succeeded in school um so like so balancing this was the, very, uh, the father yeah yeah, okay. yeah. <laughs> they, they to, uh that's a great ended up story splitting then. so yeah <laughs> they didn't okay. make it work themselves but uh it was two different very uh opposite inspirations that were both good and both uh character building mm -hmm. i was saying i love that um the thing i learned about the podcast is once you have your guest answering you limit it to two minutes because otherwise it becomes like a monologue so i'm going to cut you at some point mm -hmm. Also, I'm going to cut you because I really relate to that, what you mentioned, the father being the entrepreneur. So my father was a self-made man too, but then also he self-destroyed <laughs> at times, which I think comes together, you know? Um, yeah. So, I mean, I'm not going to go straight into like the self-destruction moments, but we'll talk about that a little bit. How is the entrepreneurship yeah, journey going for you? Moments. You do, and, and it's part of the game. So how is the journey yeah. going for you? Like, how do you feel like your younger years prepared you for the experience that you have or or have they prepared you for the entrepreneurship experience you have? I, that's deep, man. That's, that's really deep. <laughs> <laughs> you think about that. Didn't expect this. Welcome um, to sales therapy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it is a therapy. Uh, I think that I was... Um, I've always been very... Uh, I say like... It changed countries. So I had to be very adaptable when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. And then when I grew up, I left home when I was 17 to study uh, in a boarding kind of boarding school to prepare for uh, the um, exams to get into business school. So I was very early on. I was very uh, autonomous. I uh, worked from as soon as could as I could work in France. I was I think it's uh, 16. When you're 16, you can start working in France and being mm -hmm. paid for your work. Uh, I started working, so I worked in a moving company. I worked in a construction company. Oh, wow. I worked, uh, so I always did some kind of different job. So that led me to be very adaptive and very, uh, probably very entrepreneurial mm -hmm. early on. Um, and in that way, that definitely helped me build confidence and skills to overcome um, awkwardness and to be uh, to get out of my comfort zone, which has definitely been helpful and would. Even say that it's the biggest skill that you can have as an entrepreneur is just like do the thing, um, because most of the time you're not qualified to do the thing anyway. Uh, you don't have the skills, you, but you'll learn when you do. And most people wouldn't just do the thing because they're like sane people and they realize they they're not qualified to do it. But if you kind of have that kind of um, Bit crazy man said that you're gonna success whatever, uh, however it works. Then, uh, um, yeah, then you do it, and then you you start learning how to do it. I think I experienced what you're explaining a lot this year, which is I used to think I'm adaptable. So I I've spent over ten years in sales and leadership and blah blah blah. But now this year, being a founder, it's a completely different game. Like you're mm -mm. this comfort zone thing that we you know use so softly. Completely like you hire a head of content, but you need to know what is content. You hire a head of product, but you need to know what is product. So it's just crazy. I love it. And you also have to be confident enough. Like when we created HireSuite and even before with my previous company, you like you're hiring people who are the same age as you, 
and you have to be confident that there is that they can work for you so you always work together uh mm. to a main objective but st still that requires some kind of like uh yeah you, you have to be uh you have to be confident and you have to learn fast as well okay we're touching on so many so many cool and interesting things i don't know where to go but i'm gonna go this direction i think so we learned about the younger years you mentioned a few first jobs then how did the entrepreneurship journey start like what was your first role it was in finance right and then you moved to being a founder well um it's actually the opposite in uh when i was in school i started working on a project that was called so ended up being my first company even though it was mm -hmm. uh, still pretty much my project so i started working on this uh, very early on and even before getting into business school i think so when i was 19 20 mm -hmm. and this dragged on for for several years and was always a bit part-time uh but i i started working on a project before but at some point it's like okay i need to uh, i needed to do internships to internships and um i wanted to intern in real companies and do real jobs so that's why i <laughs> went to work for Commerce bank for a year mm -hmm. uh, and then uh, and then after working for a year for Commerce Bank in London and Hong Kong, I went back to uh, the the project and spent an entire about a year and a half working on that project and trying to turn this into a real company. Um, okay. I guess the answer is I started very small and took it from here. And it never Good. really was a, a an actual real company. We never really did a lot of money. So was more of a student project, like glorified student project. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. But yeah. that was also a stepping stone for something else behind. Mm, I had a similar thing, but I know that in your career, you had that finance intro, which, so I did the same school as you. I know those same same guys as you. <laughs> I used to call them finance bros. I, I think I still do because mm -hmm. now my friends are, because of my age, they are MDs and stuff. But so when you were finance, a finance bro, let's say, you still enjoyed that life. And something you explained to me was really interesting. It opened a new perspective. You mentioned about derivatives mm -hmm. being related to being an entrepreneur or creating a product. That was really interesting. Can you maybe wrap it up in a minute? Yeah. Like, what do you mean by that? Yeah. So when I worked at Commerce Bank, we were building derivatives. So derivatives are a different way to, basically a different way to bet on stock. Instead of mm -hmm. buying the stock Apple, you are going to make a bet that if Apple goes above a certain price, you're going to double your bets. And if it goes below, you're going to lose the entire money. So instead of just tracking the stock, it will be uh, double the money or just lose it all. That's one way to do a derivative. Mm -hmm. And it's super creative because you can do a lot of stuff. You can do this on stocks. You can do this on, uh, on interest rates, on currencies. So the sky is really the limit. And um, it can be a way to make bets and be very speculative for people that want to make speculative investments. And it can also help you create a very specific kind of insurance against certain situations. Mm -hmm. um, companies will use this to hedge against future interest rates, for instance, or something happens in the market. So you can do lots of stuff. You have to stay on top of the latest trends and the like global macroeconomic trends. Um, and you can you, you basically go to your clients and build the stuff for your clients. Mm -hmm. You mm -hmm. have to align different stakeholders. So you then need to go, first I was in sales. So we talk to the client and we go to the trading team and be like, okay, can we build that product? Can we do this for this? You have to negotiate as well. And, the, and then the opposite, when you're a trader, you really do the thing. So you have to think about how to build a product. And that was, intellectually, it was crazy. Like I mm -hmm. really, really enjoyed it. 
Um, so you caught me at the build that product yeah. because I know you. I've I've come to know you. Well, how did I come to know you? Uh, when Hire Suite became a, a client of Flola, then I got to know you and your marvelous team, which are really cool to work with. Um, but I came to know you as an entrepreneur already uh, of a company that is now seven years old and you had the founding experience before. Well, you started in finance and that derivative thing, which I always despise, I find it so boring. The way you presented to me, it was like entrepreneurship, yeah. which is which is really cool. Um, but then it how is. did you move to your real entrepreneurship experience? Let's let's yeah. start with that very first company you founded. How did that happen? And th there's there's also back to finance. There's also a very yeah. entrepreneurship component in the way that if you succeed, you can capture most of the of the ah, creation. Yeah. And if you fail, you well like there's protection as well so there's limits to this but like if you fail you take the, the loss and if you make it you take the, the win and so yeah everybody has their own uh, profit and losses uh, um, account and they're yeah, trying to yeah. make it so very very similar to when you have a company um, and just after so after two years of, after one year of internship at Commerce Bank um, I always had that that project on the back burner I started working on it full-time assembled a small team with friends and uh, mm -hmm. we did a like good job for, like they did a good job for the the direction of the project was very um, uh, idealistic. The idea was to create a marketplace for remote services based on time instead of a currency. That was uh, very uh, idealistic, and we never mm -hmm. qu quite made it. But then we started working with companies and learning stuff and building in the startup ecosystem. So that was a very good experience. I was uh, I was twenty two or twenty one at the time. And then went back to school for a year to do my uh, my final year, um, uh, and then with a f friend, previous friends from uh, HEC, and a new friend that I met in the final year, we started working on Hire Suite originally as a, a startup like student project, and then cut on. We worked well together, and we kept working on it for like until mm -hmm. today. Would you say Hire Suite is a highlight of your career then? Uh. Well, so far, yes. I hope I'll do I'll do more. Um, I love yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. So, what were some of the highlights of your career? Some defining moments for you? What, what do you call highlights? Like uh, I don't know, something you're proud of. Where yeah, both, both. Something you're proud of. Something like for me. I mean, I don't know. Like making the switch from consulting finally to sales properly was a highlight of my career, for example. Um, well, I would say that some relationships that I had at work with people that worked in, in at Higher Suite and in our team, mm -hmm. um, I think I really got better at like building a team and interacting with people and having very genuine relationships with people. So that was that was definitely like if I look back on my uh, experience with Higher Suite, it's mostly uh, the like people that I work with and. The, the time that we had together, like working on a problem, trying to solve a problem, that was very enjoyable. Um, so that that's been a highlight. And then some like very specific deals. Uh, mm -hmm. We recently signed our largest deal ever. It was interesting to work on this as well. Really? Uh, how wow. the product evolved as well. But I would say Congrats. it's more, yeah, I have a hard time finding out one specific moment that was like, oh, this was the highlight of my career. It's more a sum of uh, small wins 
that mm-hmm. compound over time, I would say. Okay. Highlights are sometimes difficult, but I think lowlights are a little bit easier to <laughs> remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not going to ask about the specific lowlights, but were there moments in your career overall like, man, I hate this, I'm going to quit, or man, I'm losing oh, yeah. it, this, I have to change it. Oh, like, what am I doing? I have to do better, blah, blah. Like, do you have any of those that that you might want to highlight? Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think that there is a kind of a, there is a taboo on this and it's very, uh, founders don't talk about the downs and oh, there yeah. are a ton of downs and where you're there, you know, that every founder has thought about quitting the company several times. And the person who says, I never thought about it, uh, <laughs> yeah. she lies. Shut up. Yeah. So <laughs> people think about leaving the company and you're like, okay, this is too hard or I'm not going to make it. And, um, and it's also part of the life cycle of the company. You have to go through this. Um, so we had like 2020, 2020 was pretty rough. We went through YC from January to March. We're, we're mm-hmm. on the uh, uh, top of the world. Um, very proud, very happy. We had a ton of revenue. Then the COVID hits and yeah. we lost 80% of our revenue in like two weeks and nobody's hiring anymore. So you have to keep on reinventing yourself. Um, at the time, we did something that we called um, Hire Switch. There were speed dating sessions over Zoom uh, mm. with like 10 companies and 20 candidates. And we tried to keep the thing flowing, tried to make it uh, to make the most of the situation. And that's also when we launched the podcast because uh, mm. we had time. So like, okay, we're going to invest that time into long-term assets. Mm. So low points can also, you have to find the good thing in everything. Um, and you also, the goal is not to keep going for 10 years, it's just to keep going for another six months. And most of the time, it's just <laughs> uh, it. everything it takes to go to, to exit the low. Yeah. Um, so yeah, don't, don't think about, most of the time when I was very low, I wasn't thinking about the next 10 years, but just like, okay, how, how do, we, do we make it through the next six months? And then uh, you make it and then you're, you're on a high again and you're, back for another few years but we had to reinvent ourselves all the time Mm. that's also the reason why i moved to san francisco a year and a half ago yeah i i just want to we'll come to san francisco but i just want to build on that like sometimes when i feel overwhelmed there's so much i need to do i feel like a failure blah blah i just say i don't know you need to invite 100 people to podcast so you know this thing can Mm -hmm. go on right i just say you know what man Mm -hmm. start with 10 people Get your 10 people out and then we will talk about the next. And you had like exactly. those six months, you had 14 of them so far. It's been seven years. Um, I think you're, you know, we can establish that you're quite successful at this. <laughs> you're, yeah, the thing is, some, most of the time, it's just, just fucking do it. Like, do the thing. Yeah. You need yeah. to get guests on your podcast. Just get one guest. Use a crappy microphone. Uh, <laughs> do whatever you want, but just get one. And that's how we started. And then you get yeah. more and more and more. Yeah. Um, and that moved I, to San Francisco. I, I read, uh, yeah. Oh, sorry, I caught you there. Go ahead. No, there's there's another interesting thing <laughs> thing about the lows. I read a, I think it was a motivational Instagram post uh, about a person who was talking about how to raise your kids and how to tell your kids not to quit on a bad day and to mm. only quit on a good day. Uh-huh. Um, so if they go to, they play soccer and they really don't enjoy it one specific training and they're like okay i want to quit you're 
yes, you can quit and there's nothing wrong with quitting, but you want, don't want to be quitting at the low. You want to be quitting when you're good. So this way your mind is clear and it's sharp. So don't live on a, on a bad day, live on a good day. And that was a good, um, good way also. Like I remember this and still remember it to go through the lows. You're like, okay, this is a low time. So let's not make any decisions and just go through it uh, another six months and then and then you're back to a high again. So yeah. Well, you're never gonna quit on a high. So I think it's a bit of a trick to all of us. And that's what ends up happening. You, you have you, the low moment, then you bounce back. Yeah. You can quit on a high actually. Like if you're if you feel like this is a good decision and this is a good time to quit, whatever you, you wanna do. Um Sports is a good example. Like you're doing a sports, you're playing soccer, but you're like, okay, this takes too much time. I really enjoy it, but I cannot do it anymore. And then you stop on a high. Um, it's better to stop on a high than stop on a low when you're injured or something and you always be a bit bittersweet about it. Mm, I love that. So let's come to San Francisco. Uh, you moved two years ago, is that it? About a year and a half ago. About uh, a year and a half. Early 2020. What, what triggered the decision other than you loving, you know, traveling around a bit we uh, the goal was always to to have an international company especially to have mm -hmm. presence in the us uh, which is a huge market in the recruiting space mm -hmm. uh, so there was always the goal so when we wrote our, our first uh, uh, shareholders agreement that was in the writing in 20, 2016 uh, we went uh, first time in san francisco to san francisco in 2020 for yc and the goal was always to come back now why did i come back at that point in time exactly is because i um really because we wanted to come back i really trying to started selling the u.s to my uh, then girlfriend or wife uh, <laughs> um, yeah. and that was a long-term process for her to be able to move with her company and at some point yeah. she went through interviews was able to move and that what triggered it. she was like okay we can do it but if we do it it's now you've been you've been like a uh hustling me hustling me for, for two years <laughs> with this so now we can do it do you want to do it yeah i mean at some point i think the us is very important for our sector as well like sales tech i guess for every sector us is quite key sometimes i tell my co-founder if somebody needs to go it's going to be you because i'm not moving out of mm -hmm. london i i love london too much <laughs> but i love the weather in san francisco um yeah. i want to come to our day today a little bit and talk a little bit about you know what are the challenges you're dealing with right now and what impact are you trying to have as a founder um like what's top of mind at the moment for you um we are in the, in the process of readjusting our product we used to sell mostly so we have two products the first one is a talent marketplace mm -hmm. uh, where companies can hire software engineers it's only in france the second product is a CRM for recruiting. So think of it as a HubSpot but for recruiting. Yep. Um, with lots of shared features with HubSpot. We used to sell this mostly to internal teams and then um, uh, internal teams got hit pretty hard, especially at startups, um, recruiting like headcounts where it worked out. So we had to readjust and go more into, and at some point we had like that product and we're like, who needs that product right now? Mm. Uh, and what do they need more from the product? Like, what do they? Wh what are the features that they miss for now? We realized that staffing companies that used to have it very easy two years ago, they were printing money. Everybody was recruiting, so recruiting agencies were making a shit ton of mm -hmm. money. 
um, mm -hmm. didn't have to be very efficient and no, they have to be efficient. No, they have to organize themselves. They have to keep a better track of candidates. It suddenly got much harder to make money and suddenly our product became more relevant. As to two years ago, they were like, the process is fine. We're making money. We don't want to change anything. No, they were very much looking for, and they still are very much looking for productivity enhancement. And that's the case for temp staffing, for recruiting agencies, mm -hmm. exit searches, exit search. So we're going much more into this. We had a few features that we needed to be able to really address that market. Mm -hmm. And we have them now. Um, and it's been the case for... I have one specific so, question about that, 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 that whole story, yeah. I think, which resonates with a lot of people. And we, we get deaf or blind to this. Who needs this product and how am I going to sell it to them? I mean, I'm going to ask you this hard question. Do you have your secret tips or things that you, you think others might not know to do it? Um, you know, other than saying like, oh, yeah, you have to talk to your client, etc. <laughs> or maybe that was what you were going to say. But I'm just curious, like, how do people understand what their clients need and act accordingly? Um, there's, I've been reading a book recently. That's probably a good answer to that question. It's called uh, Competing Against Luck. And hmm. the whole idea of the book, so I would recommend people read it. The whole idea of the book is you're looking for jobs to be done. So people don't buy products, but they hire products to solve for a specific job. And if the job doesn't exist, they won't buy the product. So for us, it was pretty uh, straightforward that if companies don't hire anymore, there is no <laughs> job. So there is, they're not going to hire a product to do the job. Um, yeah. And recruiting agencies at the country and staffing agencies, where that's the opposite. Like the job to be done is now to um, to be more efficient, to be, be more productive. So think about jobs. What are the jobs that the client are trying to solve? And jobs are more than a, um, you know, there are more than just features, back-to-back -back features. Yeah. They're really much more. I think for Flola, it would be the goal is to make more money. Uh, that's <laughs> the job to be done. And how are we going to help them make more money by better organizing the sales process? But still, you wanna, you're in the business of helping your clients make more money, basically. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, yeah. So think about jobs and not so much clients. Um, the, the book, uh, Competing Against Luck, really challenges the idea of personas where you're being uh okay we want to talk we want to sell to david david is a 30 years old male working in finance mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> and you're very focused on the person and what they're saying is you should be focusing on a job instead so that would be kind of unique inside if i had one aside from just talk to you i think you had one time. i mean i threw you in the ocean there and you you managed to really swim well thanks for that nice. book advice yeah. by the way we'll put it in the resources <laughs> sure the other thing as well what we've and, and We've had that idea of the job to be done in mind for a long time. That's also why we started the podcast. When you think about it, the podcast in itself, very few companies, and that's also a different competitive angle. Um, if we think to ourselves, we're in the in a job. Our job is to help competitors, uh, uh, recruiters, be more productive. Where mm -hmm. the job of helping them be more efficient why would they want and also why more efficient because if you're more efficient you're happier in your job you make more money you have more holidays you can spend more time with your family so there's a lot of 
things that go back to, to the person. So if we're in that job, we can do it with a podcast, but we can also do, uh, we can do it with the product, but also with the training, with a podcast. And we really build the content first. Mm-hmm. And if you look at my content, if you listen to my podcast, I, very, I don't really push higher suites. It's even more a way for me to collect data and information about the market and what people really want mm-hmm. instead of thinking of it as a way to push the product. And that's, we're going to promote the product through the podcast. No, it's actually the opposite. It's, we're going to talk to the clients and we're going to even, everybody wants to be more productive. So there's this high job. We're going to solve this job different ways. There is one way to solve it is to buy the product higher suite CRM. Mm-hmm. But if you don't have the money, you can still listen to the podcast. Or you, yeah, if you course. don't even have the time to listen to the podcast, you can read my LinkedIn posts. So that's I mean, also that's another point about, advantage. Yeah. For me, selling was never about selling. It was always about helping, guiding, consulting. That's why I call mm-hmm. this sales therapy, you know, like, okay, mm-hmm. hello, prospect. What's your challenge? What brings you to the therapy chair today? Like, what is your problem? Let's solve it. If I have the solution and if you can afford it, I'll sell it. But if, if I can help you in, other, in any other way, like if there's an interim thing I can suggest you, I'm going to do that because I'm a helper. I'm your, you know, therapist rather than I'm the yeah. closers. I'm your doctor. Um, I'm your doctor, yes. That's a big claim. When I go to yeah. When you go <laughs> to doctors, you're like, you just see the, the, the guy is listening to you, trying to make a diagnostic, and then he writes what you should buy. And he's, mm-hmm. you're so convinced that you'll just take what, whatever he says and you'll buy it. That's the best sales possible. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Also, you don't have like seven years of medicine experience, so you will buy what he says. <laughs> I have two specific yeah. questions that I want to go with before our time runs up. One is about founder-led sales and two about mm-hmm. something around LinkedIn that we discussed before. So founder-led sales, because this is sales therapy, I want to understand your story of did you always know how to sell? How did you learn it? How was the founder-led sales experience for you? And how did you grow from there? Like, how did you hand over that founder-led sales to somebody who can own it and do it for you? Like that whole story, I'm very curious. Um, I am. Part of the answer will be another book, which is called Founding Sales. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, book. The book is Founding Sales, the early stage go-to-market handbook. I have the link here. Startup sales for founders and others. It's a very good book. And the underlying um, answer to that is I read a lot of books and I consume a lot of content, podcasts and interviews. And um, I always try to to take lessons. So as I say, when I go to the doctor, I really make notes at the end of what I liked into the process that we can use in our own process. So that that's how I learned. I'm not a natural salesperson. I'm not even... I don't consider myself an extrovert, so I have a hard time going to people I don't know, and I'm working on this. Uh, but it's also a muscle that you build, and then you build your uh, like uh, routines, and you know better how to talk to people, and then you're... So that's definitely a muscle that you can train. That's the first thing. Founder-led sales is very different to regular sales. There is, um, it's very different. It's more... You have to figure out things out. You have very few supporting material. You don't have a lot of customer testimonials. So it's much, much harder. And you have to reinvent the playbook. You're not sure. You're not sure that the product you're saying is good, let alone the playbook. So you have to juggle several things at a time. Yeah. Um, and I think of it more as a, as being a doctor that's building a, a medicine. And you you have to make sure. You also don't want to fall into the trap there's two traps. The first trap is to absolutely want to sell your product 
and push your product and don't listen to market feedback that your product yeah. is either not solving for a job or there is not even a job. Like maybe there's a job, the product's not solving for this. Maybe mm -hmm. there's not even a job. So you have to be very um, careful about this. And the other point is as well to be too focused on market feedback. And at some point it's got to be a leap of faith. And um, you can't wait for your clients to describe exactly the product that they want, because if it's so easy for them, um, people would have done this before. There's a famous yeah. uh, Henry Ford quote of, if I asked for the, uh, the client what they wanted, they would have said a faster yeah. horse. Faster horse, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. And when you're doing this, you also have to, to be confident about yourself and you have to be kind of pushy at some point. So you, you have to find that right balance between being pushy and kind of desperate, but not too desperate that you don't listen to market feedback. Um, and then how do you scale this? That's, yeah, it's another thing entirely. Okay. So let's let's go into that if you don't mind. I'm I'm curious. Okay, you figured out how to sell. You're hiring your first salesperson. I'm sure it wasn't easy. Like you probably had some yeah. lessons learned from there. there. There's two components. You wanna first you wanna figure out the sales recipe and the sales formula. So you wanna give them some playbook to execute. So get, you're gonna figure out the playbook yourself. Um and that's doing the thing yourself experimenting, selling to your first client, trying different pitch decks, trying different... So that's the first thing. They, when you hire someone, they have to have some kind of playbook. And you also want to teach them the how you came to that playbook and how they can mm. make the playbook evolve itself. And that's basically also giving them a lot of uh, resources to learn. So as you can see, I'm big about books. Giving them books, book recommendations, um, and trying to not give them the low level of this is what you need to do, but also this is how you can think about what you need to do. And if you manage to give that, uh, and if you manage to, there is there is um, a person in the team that we're super aligned with. And I think that's because we share all the kind of underlying principles. We read the same books. We have the same, we look at the same people. We listen to the same podcast. So we reach the same decision with the same information and that's the best you want to do because now i can trust that person entirely to even make better decisions than, than me because he has more context now than myself and that's the state that you want to reach where mm -hmm. um not only the person executes the playbook but also improves it and learns and you want to give the, the you want to give funding sales to the to the person you want to give them um competing against luck you want to give them sales book and you also want that person to do the same with the person in their in their team yeah of course um so you have to hire the right yeah. people in the first place like curiosity motivation learning oh my god i don't think this will be our last podcast Robert. <laughs> there's so much to uncover there you, you, you mentioned um like of course you consume content do you also follow a few influencers or people like other founders you look up to anybody you learn from Sure. So, if you um, feel like dropping lots, any names for the listeners, yeah, lots of books. Some that I already mentioned, and the classic um, sales book. I, basically, what I do is that when I hear about a book, I buy it and I read it. Oh wow! Most Good. of the time, sales book and business books you can read them in a few hours. You want to read the book, not a summary, because uh, you get the information. So I do this every time I hear about a book, I read it and then decide whether it's there is good learnings or not. And a book is less than 20 bucks every time so if you do this all the time it really compounds like it's not that expensive given the the um, information that you get so buy and you books. can gift it to somebody um, afterwards 
yeah also yeah right <laughs> and have the paper copy it's uh, like this as well yeah. Then I, I follow a few people on LinkedIn. I really like Chris Olub's content. And uh, we bought some of the uh, master classes from him as well. Uh, that's Chris, C-H-R-I-S. Olub, yeah. O-R-L-O-B. We'll, we'll put it down that's in the cool. yeah, resources. Yeah. Um, I, I read the, the content from another finance bro, the Wolf of Wall Street, Jordan Belfort. I was <laughs> yeah. very highly suspicious. Uh, one of the reasons being that the guy is a convict and he, he did pretty uh, illegal stuff. But his book is pretty cool. It's called uh, The Way of the Wolf. And there's a ton of great learnings as well. And he has this kind of theory about how you want to work on your intonation. And there's a lot to learn from this as well. Uh, most of the time, you don't take 100% of what the person says, but take what you like and reintegrate it into your own framework. Um, so that guy's good. Uh, who else? I think that's helpful because no, I want to cover some other things like, before we. Yeah, another recommendation is the post a podcast called Acquire, uh, Acquired with a D, and yeah. there is basically a strategy case study of an hour and a half on the company, and you learn a ton about the company and how they eventually were successful. It's like sales therapy, but with uh, Warren Buffett. <laughs> okay, sorry. <laughs> Sorry for anyone being disappointed there. Yeah, we'll get there. We'll get to Robin Warren Buffett. Exactly. <laughs> Excellent. So, Robin, one thing before we wrap up. Um, this, this exchange that we had just before Christmas about growth and like how founders are using LinkedIn to build their founder brand and um, content circulating, etc. And you and I had some contrary opinions, contrasting opinions, mm -hmm. that I thought LinkedIn algorithm was... Or I was hearing that LinkedIn algorithm is not being just to a few people. Versus you were like, no, it's been great for me. Yeah. <laughs> Where do you want to pick that conversation from? <laughs> well, I, I, the point is the, the, the algorithms will always be uh, unfair to some people, I guess. Uh, mm. And not so much the algorithm, but also the content that they put out. There is a lot of mm -hmm. crappy content on LinkedIn. And, uh, and if it doesn't get views, then, then it's the right thing. It's fair. <laughs> I've heard about um, the algorithm changing time and time again. It's harder to get reach. And that's sure to an extent. But also the, the average quality of content increases. So people are more engaged with the, with the content. So for me, I, I didn't notice a drop in the, uh, in the reach that I had over the last week. So I didn't notice it myself on my own content. Um, and quite the contrary, I've, I've seen LinkedIn be super... That's that's the one advice I would give to a founder today is invest in your leading brand because it will pay off big time over time. And I'm saying LinkedIn, but maybe it's LinkedIn today. Maybe it's uh, TikTok yeah, tomorrow. Social. But invest yeah. in your social brand and create free content. Think about what's the job to be done for your clients and help them solve this with different type of contents because they will be very grateful for this. You're helping them for free. And then when they're ready to buy, they'll buy from, from you and not your competitors because they know that they will hire your product to solve their job because they already hired some of your other products. Hmm. Um, so yeah, Something I have in mind brand. for that, for you, specific, mm -hmm. one specific question about that. Like, um, I mean, you can write about anything, right? But how do you nail who your audience is and what you should talk about to them? How did you nail that? Um, 
I think I nailed it. So, so I'm, I'm not even sure I really nailed it. But what I've been trying to do is uh, write content that, that, that could be useful to me and or things I was surprised about or things that I learned. So typically sharing about books. You learn about a book and you, you can share it. It will be, if it was useful for you, it will be useful to, to others. Recently, for instance, on the Modern Recruiters, the podcast, I've been interviewing much more uh, founders of recruiting agencies because also that's what's that's my interest now. So I want to talk to them and understand what's uh, what has been their experience. So if, and in a lot of ways, I am the, target audience as well because i created a recruiting company and i'm in recruiting and i think about the future of recruiting so anything that can help me progress towards that goal will be useful to me so the answer mm -hmm. is don't write content for the sake of writing content don't try and and just be like okay i've been told i need to have a LinkedIn brand so i'm gonna share on linkedin and what i'm gonna do is talk only <clears throat> talk only about my company but rather think of it as another way to solve your client's problem, just an, a free trial, a way that's free and that will drive people to your brand and to your content. Uh, and maybe maybe this is what works and maybe your product is not actually solving the, the problem, but you'll get there. The product will change. If you talk to, your, to uh, people that you want to help, you'll get there. The product will progress. So don't try and push the product yeah, because once I it's uh, really solving the problem, it's natural. I agree. Talking about products, um, like, as I said, our relation came about because your team started using Fogla. Um, was it solving anything for you or is it still solving anything for you? Um, yeah, it was, uh, so the goal, we use Flola to create more engagement during the sales process and uh, <clears throat> give more visibility to the clients as well. Mm -hmm. um, so when you're on board on the marketplace and it really aligns with that idea of the job to be done. <clears throat> When you're, when you're selling a recruiting software, what you're trying to do is you want to make sure that the person hires in the end. It's the same as if you sell a weight loss software, you want to make sure that the person loses weight in the end. Most of the time, it's not so much about the product, but also how to use it and also what happens around the product. So if you have the weight loss prog uh, um, software, you still have to go to the gym, you still have to eat healthy, you still have to do a lot of stuff. And for recruiting, it's the same. If you want to hire, you have you can have the best product in the world. You still have to be clear about um, who you're hiring for, uh, what's your value proposition to them, to be responsive, to be... So there is a part of coaching as well. Yeah, um, education. Because you're never education. just buying the product. Yeah. And Flora helped us do it, uh, to have milestones and be like, okay, we're, we're going we're gonna to speak a first time today. You're going to tell me exactly this is the information I'm going to need from you. And then... Here's what happens next. Here's what happened next. And together, if you follow that recipe, we're getting closer to solving your job, which is hire that software engineer that you'll be looking for for three months or hiring that CTO or hiring that, 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 that person. Or yeah. So that's I how I love that. In, in summary, it helps you to help your client to help themselves. I think that's the summary yeah. I got from that. I yeah. love it. Okay, great. But it's so Where? important. What's that? It's it's so important to yeah it's so important that your clients are successful and sometimes they're successful their success will be just they they still need to log into the product so they have to think about it. anyway yeah back to uh, yeah yeah I know I know um any questions for me as we're coming to the closing remarks well what uh, what book you don't have to right away <laughs> yeah 
What's so that? What, what book would you recommend I buy? Um, let's pick one from here, unless you've already read. Um, oh, interesting. I don't have the latest book that I've read. Anyway, I'll recommend that one to you. You might have already oh, yeah. read it. I read it already. Okay. So <laughs> anybody looking at the, <laughs> the screen, how to win friends and influence people. I haven't read it in a, um, you know, this it's it's been there, you know, one of the top 20 books or whatever. I haven't because I always felt like, okay, you know what? I already know that. Like I, I, I know how to influence people, how to sell people. But I'm I'm really enjoying that one at the moment. I've recently read also the um, the Founder Brand book. Jesus, I forgot the exact name uh, from... Oh, this will this will sound terrible. David Bernhardt, I want to say. Yeah, anyway, yeah, yeah probably. Okay, sorry, I, don't um, I don't know this. Yeah, about just before starting the podcast, I mean, um, a lot of the inspiration about starting the podcast came from him and from this guy I know who who is smashing it, Javier, um, who has his own podcast. So it's a really, really practical and good book. You should read. Although I I, I butchered the name and the title there. Apologies for that. <laughs> <laughs> but it's fun. Excellent. Yeah, it is fun. I bought it. Good. Already? Yeah. You're crazy. Wow. This is a skill I can learn from you. Okay. So before we yeah, go, yeah, any, that, that's that's a great way to uh, to spend money. Like you hear about a book, you get it, and then you read, you skim through it, you learn through stuff, and it's always worth the ten dollars that you um, that you pay for the book. This one is. Like, I mean, honestly, nice. I think I might have slight ADHD, which I struggle with reading books lately. But that's again, this this like from this conversation, I feel like okay, this conversation should have been over way uh, earlier due to our time limitations. But it was so enjoyable for me. I hope people will will listen and enjoy. We've gone over like 10 minutes. So any closing rem re remarks before we wrap up? No, I think uh, we can go. Thanks for having me, Alper. Really? Okay. <laughs> Maybe I got to that. Okay. You can give your closing remarks. That's fine. We'll, we'll edit it. No, I don't think I have any. Uh, check out, uh, I would say, check out Higher Suite. Check out myself on LinkedIn. I post a lot on LinkedIn if you're interested in recording. You do? Push my yeah. Thing. Leave what... uh, reviews. Like, leave good things about us say good things about us uh send us clients uh, leave reviews on the apple podcast and spotify that's well, that's it for i guess after anymore. seven Stop years me. of uh, after seven years of being a founder i think you get to the level you're like help me guys help me help you yeah. i don't think you need that much help with 15 1500 clients in the bank and you have thirty-five thousand followers on your linkedin so you're doing fine but we'll help you uh so that's a wrap on this episode I, because people keep helping me so that's the thing if you give forward, then people help you, and then it's easier. Everything gets easier. So help me. Gen generosity. I agree. So, okay. Like, I, I can't even say my outro, which is, now, Robin, our time is over, and I need to cut it on the clock, just like any good therapist, which is definitely not true because we're way over time, but this was such a fantastic conversation. Uh, that's, a rip, that's a wrap on this episode of Sales Therapy. If you enjoy the show, subscribe to us on YouTube, on, on your favorite podcast platform. I'm your host, Alper Jurder, and this was Sales Therapy with Robin Choi. Thank you very much. All right.